not. So, live brunch. We are live. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Live Brunch. Not so. Live brunch. Not so. Live brunch. Hello, welcome to another episode of Not So Live Brunch. I'm going to be hosting us today. Great to have our special guest, Glenn. And Rufy T, Rufy D, sorry, Marinelle. Mm -hmm. So, we've got some juicy themes today. Ooh. We talked about judgment, about sex. <laughs> we've got lots of brilliant questions. But before we do, before we head listen to the message, I thought it would be a good opportunity to take one minute to understand the man a bit more. Oh, so, okay. I've got seven questions for you. <laughs> Rapid fire questions oh, about wow. Glenn. If you don't know Glenn, he runs a brilliant YouTube channel of like 20,000 subscribers, pours out lots of content, mm. travels around the place, bringing the message of life to lots of people. But mm. before we get into the juicy content of the sermon, I've got seven questions for you and you have to answer your gut instincts you ready go a five mile run or a five mile cycle uh, run a walk in the park or walk along the beach beach nice favorite style of music uh, old style like 90s grunge rock kind of you know <laughs> nice. if, it, if it's from Seattle I'll listen yeah. I'm gonna add in that's a good question eight then uh, favorite <laughs> Nirvana song oh in bloom maybe Ooh, nice favorite Beatles song oh uh, Taxman, come on. Ooh, nice. Favourite piece of content on your YouTube channel, Speak Life? We did a Down Syndrome nativity where everybody had Down Syndrome and um, they did, yeah, it was beautiful. If you don't cry at that, you're mm. like a concrete monk. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> a concrete monk, yeah. you heard it here. If you could go for a pint with any of Jesus' disciples, who would you go and why? <laughs> uh, Peter, I mean, he would just speak his mind, wouldn't he? Yeah. I like it, it's good. One thing you think God is doing through COVID-19 oh, in the global church? <laughs> uh, one thing is, I think he is teaching us to pray. I think mm. it's taking us a long time to learn, but yeah. Root hmm. prayer, fantastic. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Glenn, it's so good to have you here. If you have just tuned in, you must listen to the message. It's mighty, yeah. and Amazing. we obviously gave you a very tricky passage. Hmm. Lots of things in there, particularly, you know, it's the famous passage, the original passage about fire and brimstone. So question number one um, for both you guys, and we can just bat this around. Can we really believe in fire and brimstone judgment today? Mm. Like I, I, said, I said during my preaching, I, I said a neighbour of mine said... What kind of preacher are you? Are you a fire and you're not a fire and brimstone preacher, are you? And it's interesting that that phrase has passed into common parlance when attached to preaching. Like we, be, mm. like there are such, there is such a thing as a fire and brimstone preacher, um, but nobody believes in fire and brimstone itself. And I had to say, well, actually, one of the things I'm preaching on very soon is actually fire and brimstone. And I, I guess, like, do we believe in judgment? I, th I think we do think there are things that stink to high heaven. And Genesis 18 and 19, they show us there are things that stink to high heaven. And Abraham has to intercede on behalf of Sodom in chapter 18. And then the angels come to do reconnaissance to see if it's as bad as they say it is, because justice doesn't only need to be done, but it needs to be seen to be, be being done. But in some senses, I, I think it's really good news that there are, there are some things that are unconscionable, that stink to high heaven, that God's going to do something about, I think. Mm. Mm. Do you think he's going to pour out fire, like, in the stuff that's going on today? Is that, like, will that happen again? Or do you think, oh, no, that won't, it'll just be, like, end times? Well, I, th I, th I think judgment is often related to fire in the Bible, but it's also related to darkness. It's also related to the storm-tossed sea. It's also related to being outside the feast. 
um, in outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and there's lostness and, and like all those images of judgment, in a sense they can't all be true together because how do you have outer darkness and fire um, at, at the same time? What the fire analogy is, is getting at, I think, is the, the consuming passion of God. Our God is a consuming fire of jealous, holy, committed love. Um, and to get on the wrong side of it is to experience a kind of a furnace of, of judgment. To be, to be on the inside is to experience the sunshine of his love. But, um, so what would it look like today for a city to experience um, an outpouring of, of fire and judgment? I, I don't think... I don't think it would be actual sulfur coming, coming down from heaven, um, but I think a humbling of, of places. Um, and, and I think one way in which that happens is when the people of God, on fire with the Holy Spirit, actually get into a place and the wickedness of a place becomes obvious by contrast with the blazing passion and the, the spiritual commitment of the, of the Christians. And I think people can come under judgment in, in those sorts of ways. But in the Bible, yeah, it's, it's used as an example of what will happen on the last day. And 2 Peter goes into that. Um, so I, I don't think we are to expect anything like what's happened in Sodom in 2021. Um, but we are to be made aware that there are things that stink to high heaven. God is angry about sin. And we all need, like Lot, to get out of Dodge um, and, and come into the Lord's protection. Really good. Which, so, kind of, I was just going to say, it kind of leads to the, the second thing, which is what should be our posture then if um, you're, you're saying that we, we need to be in there and bringing that light and that God's love and his fire. Hmm. How do we do that without becoming like Lot and becoming right. influenced like he was? It's a big question because I, th I think there's been a massive movement in church planting, let's say, in the last 20 years that let's get into the cities. And it's the cities is, uh, are where it's at and they are the cultural influences and the rest of culture is downstream for the cities and let's go into... But somebody like Mark Sayers, who's uh, an, an Australian church planter himself, has looked out at the last 20 years and said, yeah, sometimes we inf influence the cities. Very often the cities have influenced us. Mm. And, and I think Genesis 19 is just a real... Um, a really a, a cautionary tale here because if, if only 10 believers were there in the city, the whole city would be spared, mm -hmm. according to Genesis 18, which in, the, in, in Jewish culture, 10 was the size of a synagogue. As, as soon as you had 10 people, you had, let's say, a church, right? Mm -hmm. If he was successful at all as a church planter, the, the whole city would be under that kind of protection. Wow. So there's a real possibility as Lot moves in if he remains close to the Lord, there's a real possibility that his influence would be for the protection of Sodom. As it turns out, it can go the other way. And I, I just think we need to be very aware that it can go the other way and to keep in touch with, you know, our relative Abraham. You know, Lot, Lot needed to keep in a lot closer contact, I think, with his, with his relative Abraham and, and what Abraham was doing. Um, and so it's a cautionary tale. Mm. So you talked about Lot. And for a while, when you read the passage, is this guy a goodie or a baddie? But I right. think it, it, it came out um, quite clearly, really, where he's at. But you did talk about his addiction. Yeah. And just following what Ruth is saying about just being influenced, just landing this for anyone watching this, I'm, I'm going to work this week. I am in a culture um, that some people here are following, the, following Jesus. Many people here aren't. And this thing about being in cities, which is where we are, um, 
how do we go about not doing a lot here at mm. being massively influenced? Um, and I guess there's a story, like you said, sort of negation. This is how we shouldn't do it. Yeah. How would you help anyone just watching today about how to do it, to, to continue with that fire and not let the, you know, turn into the city? I think be, be aware of the, the pattern that Lot represents. And it, it is with the eyes that he first kind of, it's, it's very much like a forbidden fruit moment. You know, he, he sees and he wants and he wants to possess for himself. And Genesis 19 is evoking Genesis 3 kind of language. And, and so it, it has kind of captured his heart. Um, and I think the real low point in the chapter is when he sells out his family um, in, in just the most shocking way. I mean, you, re you read through this and you're like, is Lot a goodie or a baddie? He, he is a very, very mixed bag. And this is a, this is a shocking kind of a sin. And the, I think the moment that really wakes most people up is him offering his daughters to these would-be rapists. And you think, Lot, you have lost yourself. Yeah. And I wonder whether that's a question that we can be asking ourselves. Like, like are we selling out our families? For the, for the sake of, you know, um, Can I just ask you, like, I don't... That's quite an extreme thing that Lot did. Yeah. And so when you ask me the question, are we saying out of families, <laughs> I'm not offering up my daughter, I'm not. <laughs> no, so yeah, yeah I'll no, check. Right. Right. Are there ways you think actually we could be mm -hmm. and subtly we don't know that we are? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would think, if, if you are working all the hours that God sends in order to get into, you know, and... and with career progressions, there are points when, yeah, maybe you do need to work really, really hard for two, three years, um, but you need other friends around you who are kind of saying, hey, um, you said that three years ago you would have been in the position where you can actually, you know, give your time back to your family. How's that going? So having, having that kind of accountability and people who can ask those questions, um, because, yes, I'm, I'm not saying we would sell out our families like Lot did, but we, I think we are aware the family, our families can get the worst of us yeah. and the city can get the best of us. And that is not right, you know. Wow. And I, and I would link it back to the, the, the sermon I preached on Genesis 14. Sorry, mate, you can't plug other things you've done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. Let's keep on it's on your channel. Yeah, it's yeah, on yeah, your channel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you carry on. That's fine. But um, Abraham is pitching his tents and he's not doing the city thing and he's not buying into the... He, he's building a household and it's a pretty, you know rock-solid households. There's 318 trained men who can actually go into battle against the superpowers of the day. But he's building a family of faith outside the structures of the city. And in the end, the Abraham model ends up going global and reaching the world, and we're part of Abraham's family today. And I, and I think Abraham is building a household of faith and not getting so seduced by the cities and the power and the structures. Mm. Um, and so whatever we can do to get more in touch with the Abrahamic way and, and less do the lot thing, I think, I think that's what Genesis, over the broad sweep of things, is, is telling us to do. Mm. And it's so helpful, like, it's interesting that you mentioned people like Mark Sawyers. We had a speaker here a few weeks ago, yeah. a few months ago, which was so good, but people like that who have this incredible, almost prophetic gift of being able to observe culture and things that, as you say, we might be blind to, but actually the importance of being able to name things and see things and call them out. Because a, a lot of the time we're just ignorant, and it's so helpful to, to know, um, you know, but also I was reminded of, I think it's that Tozer quote that talks about, um, I think it's when it's talking about yourself, that for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at God. But when you think about also cultural things, you know, for every, uh, for every look in, at culture, every sort of um, thing in society, you know, take, take 10 more looks at God and 
Yeah. Uh, remember that he's also given us his spirit to to yeah. to help us with, you know, you were saying at Pentecost, to help us be that influence rather than be influenced, you know. Yeah. Um, and we often underestimate the spirit's power and mm. his, it's, it's so helpful in those situations. Mm. Yeah. I love how you took the the metaphor, the reality of fire through scripture and mm. how it turns from judgment and Christ who took the actual fire and brimstone mm. um, at the cross, but then that fire now representing um, the fire of the spirit, mm. fire of love, fire of faith, and um, yeah, Hebrews, our gods are consuming fire, and yeah. what all of that means positively and negatively, but it, yeah. in, in all in con consuming um, holiness. Um, so just question about this, this household of faith. Mm. So we are city dwellers, mm. and I love what you said then about addiction and not selling out your family and anchoring it in, even pursuing after a work career and the way we do our lives, we can accidentally like drift into that. Um, I love how you've just anchored this in building households of faith. Yeah. What I'd like to talk about is sex. Okay. <laughs> this, this comes out in the Not passage, again. obviously. <laughs> um, we live in a city that has lots of sex, and we love sex as a city, and most cities do. Um, mm -hmm. These days, most people have multiple sexual partners, mm. and, but you, you really introduce this, um, this theme that sex is spiritual. I'm always presumed, like, we, we do know this, don't we? Um, and I guess I'm just sitting there, I'm thinking some people today, that might have been the first time I've heard that, that mm. oh, I've always thought sex was just a fleshy thing. Mm. You've introduced something that is actually much deeper. Um, but obviously this talks about hurt in sex and selling out, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's a big topic, so there's a couple of things I'd love to draw out. Okay. Um, I, for people looking in, and it's the first time they've actually heard that sex is spiritual and what, what I do with my body actually isn't just, you know, sort of sticky plaster, you know, there's, a, there's something much deeper and more mm, profound. Cosmic romance, you were saying. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. Mm. Mm. How do you help that person just today just take a step closer towards God and what he has, um, what his design for sex is? I think these days people either say, and they, in fact, they both say, they say these two very different things. Sex is nothing. And sex is everything, right? Mm. And the sex is nothing is like what two consenting adults do in the privacy of wherever they want to be. That's cool and nobody cares about sex, right? On the other hand, sex is everything. It's my identity. My pattern of attractions defines who I am and my gender identity is absolutely very, very, very central to who I am. And, and I think we've got both those things going on in the culture, which I think shows us that we, we might be thinking about sex wrongly. I, th I think the fact that we're at this sort of paradox where sex is nothing and sex is everything, I, I think what the Bible says is sex is very significant, but what it signifies, that is what everything is. Yeah. And G.K. Chesterton, um, uh, a writer from about 100 years ago, he said, um, Every, everyone knocking on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Mm. Wow. And, and what he means by that is, is that there is something incredibly significant about uniting yourself with another person. And according to the Bible, to unite yourself with another person is not just a union of bodies, it's also a union of hearts and minds and souls and lives, such that in the Bible, the word for one flesh is the word for marriage. Wait a second, the word, the word for, for, the, for marriage? The word for marriage, is a phrase for marriage is one flesh, and the word for sex is also one flesh. Wow. So that like sex is a one flesh thing and marriage is a one flesh thing. So the, the, the one flesh act belongs in the one flesh union so that like 
a man and a woman having sex are basically saying wedding vows to each other. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. It's an incredibly romantic view, right? It's incredibly significant. And it's even bigger than that, because that's what's happening on the horizontal level. I'm saying my wedding vows. On the vertical level, I'm proclaiming the cosmic romance of heaven and earth and Christ and the church. And, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's like the love story written in the stars, baby. It's, it's, mm. it's this incredible... But because, because anyone can have access to that cosmic romance, whether married or single, whether you're asexual, bisexual, whatever, whatever your pattern of attractions, everyone has, as, uh, has access to the great romance that is the true satisfaction of your soul, mm. it kind of takes the pressure off the horizontal realm. It takes the pressure off this, this realm in which we try, and what we try to do, unfortunately, is we try to invest this with all the weight and the significance of heaven and earth. Wow. And it's just not able to, to bear up under the weight that we put on it. And I think that is where sex goes wrong. I, I think we put so much store by our sexual experiences and we want heaven from them. And they're great sexual experiences. They signify heaven, but to seek heaven in them will just mean that I, I put far too much weight on them. I might well use and abuse others in my you know, thirst for, for heaven. And, and it's all because we've decentered the, the true cosmic romance, the true picture of, of what sex is actually meant to be pointing to. So. Wow, it's beautiful. Anything you want to add? <laughs> oh, <No>, sir, amen. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking somebody watching this today who um, just looking into Christianity, yeah. even the idea that this um, horizontal thing is mm. pointing towards something deeper and, and profound and spiritual, and that, like you said, the Jikatishan thing, knocking the door of a brothel, you are searching for God. Yeah. It's like a a hole in every person's heart that's not going to be filled with right. any other person right. or sex experience and, until they finally meet God and, and Jesus. Um, right. it, the, the link of... It's weird, isn't it? Like, sex is a, it's a sort of fleshly thing. And, oh, am I having sex with God? Like, no, it's, it's not that. It's a... No. Yeah, it's much deeper. Um, go on. It's the, it, it's the true union. And, and, like, people... Christians have been calling the end of the age, the consummation, yeah. like for 2,000 years. Like when her, heaven, heaven and earth do finally get married, you, you read to the final you know, like page of the Bible almost, and heaven and earth are getting married. Mm. And the, the union that you are made for is a union with God that lasts forever and that right. truly fills that hole that won't be filled by sex or money or power or fame yes. or anything else. Yeah. Um, and and we, we chase after these, these little things that will just break our hearts and crumble apart between our fingers if, right. if that's what we think God will be like. But I, th I think put God centre stage and I think the rest, of, the rest of sex, money, fame, power, all that kind of stuff starts to work out in the wash. Brilliant. So helpful. So helpful to talk about these things, isn't it? We've talked about judgement. We've talked about sex. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about tomorrow. Okay. Somebody going to work in uh, wherever they're in, a, like this city in our culture, how do we take these things, you know, there's a household thing, like I get that, but just in terms of my interaction with people, one really real thing, um, this week we've been just seeing all of the reaction to racism, the terrible racism that happened on, yeah. on the um, back of England's result yeah. um, last week. That's judgment all across social media, other stuff, right. and also many people just hurting. Um, what, what, how can this message just help us right now, even with some of that stuff? 
Well, I think Genesis 18 and 19 tell you there are things that stink to high heaven and that God takes this stuff seriously. So um, if you hate racism, God hates it even more. Um, positively, he is building this community of faith. And, you know, Jesus said that the great vision for all things is a feast um, with Abraham, right? And everyone will be invited to this Abrahamic feast from north and south and east and west, from all the kingdoms of the, of the world. Um, and, and therefore, the, the great hope of all things is this multi-ethnic, multi-racial, like, body called, you know, the, the church, you know, which, to which everyone is invited. Um, and so, yeah, God hates racism. It's anti-Christ, right, racism. But to come home to the true family of faith is to, is to come home. And if you don't like um, sitting down to feast with people from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue, heaven's not really for you. Right, right. But if if Jesus and the Spirit of Jesus gets into you, then of course you love across boundaries and you you love across these ethnic divisions. And the greatest multi-ethnic, multinational phenomenon the world has ever seen is the Church of Jesus Christ. So hop on a board. Like if you, if you want to get on the anti-racism train, like hop on a board. We've we've been trying to do this thing. We've we've not got it right. Um, in so many ways, but that, that is where the destination is always. It's every tribe, nation, people, and tongue united around Jesus. That's brilliant. And that is the fire of the Spirit, is a fire right. of love. Which was a multi Pentecost is this massively multi ethnic, multinational, multiracial thing. Yeah. And, and so to be in the flow of the Spirit is to be opposed to racism at its most fundamental and to unite all people yeah. in Christ. And it was a uniting moment, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, when, yeah. the, when the Spirit came in Acts 2, just totally. people connecting and they're like, oh, that's the language I speak. Right. And that's what God's heart is, is right. to include and bring together. Right. Glenn, it's been a real treat having you here. It mm. always is. And um, I know I joked earlier. About the other preach. Um, we did. We did say earlier. Glenn does run a YouTube channel called Speak Life, and it's got tons of videos on there, just full of rich, rich content. If you have enjoyed what Glenn's had to say today, do head over to Speak Life. There's so much more, um, and a whole variety of topics and different things. But it's been really good, Ruth. Great to have you here, as always. Um, so thank you so much, guys. We're going to say goodbye here. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you soon. Bye.